0: Or or TT or whatever. There's always been a a an unction in us to try to encourage others to speak. And as we've looked at the power of the tongue the past several weeks, we looked at several different uh, examples in the Bible where Job actually realized his mouth was so out of order that he put his hand over his mouth so he wouldn't speak. We know that when God prophesied the birth of John the Baptist, the father or the uh, prophesied father had some uh, doubts, discouragement. And so the angel just told him, you're not going to be able to speak until this baby is born. Nine months, he was not able to say a word. And then when the baby was born, they went to the dad and said, what shall we call him? And they gave him something to write on. And he wrote his name, shall be called John, because that's what the angel said to call him. And when he fulfilled that prophetic word, his mouth was opened and he began to praise God, begin to worship God. We look at uh, the walls of Jericho came down uh, because God told the army to march, not talk, not speak a word. Because for 40 years, their grandfathers and their fathers and their great grandfathers had done nothing but spoke negative and critical and hurt and discouragement and disappointment. And, uh, and the Lord instructed them, don't say a single word until the seventh time, the seventh day. And then you're going to declare the battle is the Lord's. And they did that, the walls Came down, and then there was the. uh, See, there's one of the instances I want to bring attention to. What else I talked about last week about talking about speaking? Do you remember, not speaking, speaking? Anyway, it was so good that we have. Yes, Job and his wife. Job said that uh, though though God himself strike him dumb, Job said, "In my flesh, I will see the Lord." And he said, "I'm looking for something that God has for me." A lot of words in the. In the book of Job, three friends, four friends, most of what is there, they were just running their mouth. They were, they were trying to put Job down, trying to discourage Job. But the Bible says that God told Job to pay, pray for his friends. And as he began to pray for his friends, the Bible says that God turned Job's captivity. God restored Job everything that he had lost, double. Uh, ten more children. We talked about the three daughters of Job. If you weren't here last week, you might want to get that CD because it kind of neat some of the things that that God prophesied through Job's daughters. But uh, I'm going to talk about this morning just for a few minutes, addressing the mountains in your life, addressing the mountains in your life. The guys, we were all, we had breakfast Saturday, and we got to talk a little bit about, uh, we, ha- we have someone that's not really a part of this house, but is a part of me, uh, that just got a negative report, was told that uh, they only had 30 days to live. Uh, Stage four cancer and uh, the chemo. There was there was nothing that was helping. That uh, he needed to get his house in order, and uh, prepare to die. And so I talked with the guys uh, yesterday morning about if you were told you had 30 days to live, what would you do? What would you that last 30 days? I did uh, ask somebody. I've asked this question several this week, but I did ask somebody. Uh, who had a wife and two children if he had 30 days to live what would he do and he said he would go to the keys and uh, he would spend the last 30 days of his life fishing for snook and snapper and grouper and uh, I kind of pondered that and I believe if I had 30 days to live I believe I would surround myself with my family and I would love them I would enjoy them I would spend the last days of my life with my family I think that's something that I would do because I really don't have a bucket list. So we started talking about bucket lists uh, yesterday. And if you've never seen the movie Bucket List, it is hilarious. And it's funny. And it shows two old guys doing stuff that they'd always wanted to do. And uh, as I began to inventory myself and, uh, and ask myself, what is on my bucket list? I can only come up with one thing that I would really like to do uh, before the return of the rapture of the Lord. And uh, that one thing is to go to Tibet and go to the base camp of Mount Everest and stay there a couple of days in the shadow of the mountain. Mount Everest is 29,070 feet tall. It is the largest mountain in the world. Uh, it was climbed in 1953 by Sir Edmund Hillary and Sherbet Enzing, which was a Sherpa shepherd. Uh, they climbed it. They reached the top. They came up the back off the, the south face. And they climbed the mountain. Since that day, uh, almost 700 people have climbed the mountain. 300 people have died, and 150 never made it off the mountain. Their bodies are still there. And uh, I would like to go to the, the the base camp. is 15,000 square foot, and you are 15,000 feet high, square foot, and uh, you you have to stay at the base camp four to six weeks to get your lungs acclimated to be able to go to the top of the mountain. Uh, the top of the mountain, nothing lives, nothing grows. The only thing that's seen above Mount Everest is a bald eagle. Uh, that's, I thought that was kind of cool that there's no, at 22,000 square foot, there's what's called a jumping spider that actually survives in that, in that hemisphere, uh, but nothing else can live. There's no, there's no life and it's, uh, it's a very dangerous, it's a very scary, plagues. And uh, as I look at that mountain in pictures, uh, again, I have no desire to climb it. That's not that I hate cold. That's just not the way I want to roll. But I would like to stand in the shade of that mountain and just look at it. I just like to get that close to it and maybe climb a 100 feet. Just I could say, hey, I climbed part of Mount Everest. But uh, that's I guess that's kind of one of the things on my bucket list. And you know, when I think about mountains or addressing mountains, I realize there are three things you could do uh, to your mountain. Uh, you can climb it, you can walk around it, or you can remove it. Matthew 11:20 says, if we have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, we can say to this mountain, be removed, and the mountain will be removed. Now, we'll, we'll realize a little later, uh, that's not, a, that's not a, a technical promise, but that's that's not a literal promise, but that's a prophesied promise that God declares that you can remove the mountains in your life that are creating obstacles and hassles and The Bible says that we do it according to the power that worketh in us And we realize that power is the power of the spoken tongue the ability to declare and expect God to honor in Psalms 91 David said I will say to the Lord he's my refuge my God and my fortress and when David declared what God was and David goes on to say that God Is going to be my refuge my fortress and my shield and here's what he's going to do he's going to deliver me he's going to protect me and he's going to cover me that was an expected promise that David had from God and we'll talk about David a little later there's a story in the New Testament very very popular story there was a little boy uh, that was dying and so they were going to the house of the little boy to pray for him and he will die while they while they're headed to that to that house but there was a woman that had an issue of blood. The Bible said that she had spent every dime she had on doctors, medicine, herbs, everything that would try to extend her life. She had spent money. She was dying. She had a cancer. And, but the Bible says that she kept saying to herself, watch this, she kept saying to herself, if I could just get to Jesus, I know that I would be healed. And I... Look at some of the mountains in her life, the, the obstacles that were in her life. First of all, the obstacle of doubt. She had spent all the money she had, and nobody could help her. Nobody could save her, and that's got to be frustrating. And then we look at the circumstances in her life. She was just a little old tiny lady, and Jesus was surrounded by a mob, and she had to push through that crowd. She had to make her way through that crowd to get to where he was. And the Bible says she simply reached out and touched the hem of his garment, or she touched a part part of his robe. And the Bible says immediately she was healed. And the Bible says that Jesus immediately felt that healing leave his body. And he looked around and he said, who touched me? And of course, the disciples said, well, master, everybody's touching you. Everybody's, you know, they're all, he said, no. He said, someone touched me. And then she confessed, I touched you. And he said, not only will you be healed, but you will be made whole. Just the desire to move the mountain in her life and to touch the Lord. I got to thinking about some of the mountains in our lives that we encounter every day and what God has to say about our mountains. Maybe your mountain is doubt, but God's word says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Maybe your mountain is fear, but the Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Maybe your mountain is poverty, but the Bible says, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. Maybe your mountain is sickness, but the Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Maybe your mountain is depression, but the Bible declares the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm preaching good now. Maybe your mountain is bondage, but David said, I will cry upon the Lord and he will deliver thee. He shall take me out of the pit, set me on a rock, put a new song in my mouth. Many shall hear it and fear the Lord. And so we look at at a time in David's life where he was in trouble. David found himself in a pit. And he said, but you know what? I'm not going to be in this pit long. I'm going to declare that God is good, and God's going to deliver me out of this pit. And prophetically, he begins to prophesy what God is going to do. I believe that we have the ability to prophetically declare the blessings of God over our lives and then set back and wait for it to come to pass. Do I have a friend in the house Uh, i'm i'm reading a book by joel olstein and in the book he shares a little bit of his testimony where for 17 years he was over the the lights and the tv at his dad's church and so for 17 years he made sure that his dad looked good every saturday night joel would go to his dad's house and he would pick out a a suit a shirt and tie for his dad to wear so he would look good on television his mom told him says joel you don't have to come over every Saturday and pick out your dad's clothing. He's able to pick out his own clothing. But D- dad didn't coordinate very well. His tie didn't match his shirt. His shirt didn't match his suit. His suit didn't match his shoes. So every Saturday night, Joel would go and dress his dad and make sure his dad looked good. He did that for 17 years, faithful to the job that God had called him to do and that he was good at. And then all of a sudden, when dad dies, Joel has an opportunity I don't know if you know the story, but Joel was just supposed to fill in for a couple of weeks to find until they could find someone to replace his dad. And as Joel began to be used of God and move and minister, Job now has taken that church that ran 3000. It now runs 30,000. But the point there is he was faithful in the things that God had called him to do, being faithful over the little things, being consistent over the things that God has called you to do and to speak well of those things. Be careful what comes out of your mouth. You can be a Winnie the Pooh that declares all the fun and blessings God has for you, or you can be Eeyore that has an attitude and saying, I knew this would happen, I knew this would happen, because you will learn prophetically that what you speak is exactly what you're going to get. Let me say it again. What you speak is exactly what you're going to get. And if you speak that, well, I'm broke, I'll always be broke, I'm fat, I'll always be fat, I'm dumb, I'll always be dumb, my marriage will never work, my job is lousy, I don't like my life, I'm sick, I don't feel good. If you declare those things prophetically, you're reiterating, help me with that word, reiterating, spell it three times, reiterating over and over what the enemy wants you to speak. The enemy wants you to speak negative and criticism and doubt and fear and depression. But God's word says, don't speak those things, speak these things. And if you speak these things prophetically, these things are going to come to pass. Do I have a friend in the house. Very popular story in the Bible about David. Some things that you didn't know about David. There's a very good possibility that David was born out of wedlock. The Bible says that this, the prophet went to the house of God, said, bring your sons, I want to I want to anoint them, and I want to declare one of them to be king. You know the story. The sons were brought. He stood in front of every single son, from the oldest to the youngest, ready to anoint that son to be the king. God said no. God said no. God said no six times. God said no. And then the prophet looks at Dad Jesse and goes, "Is this all the kids you've got? Is there any more kids?" And then Jesse said, "Oh yeah, there's David." And I can just see. I can just see the. I can see the attitude in his voice. Oh, yeah, there's David. Well, David was kind of a mistake. David was a, an affair. David was something that we didn't plan, but we'll go get him. And the Bible says that David was in the field, in the woods, taking care of his father's sheep. And I think about some of the mountains that David overcome there taking care of his father's sheep. He was, a, he was the baby of the family. He was by himself, but he was doing the right thing for the right reason. He was taking care of his dad's stuff. And that's what God has called some of us to do. He's given us gifts and talents and abilities. And we, and we are told to take care of the stuff that God has imparted to us to turn those things around so it can be a blessing to somebody else. David, while he was taking care of his father's sheep, the Bible says there was a bear that, that roared against David. I remember several years ago uh, on Highway 60, I was hunting in a, uh, an environment that was, uh, it was sequestered by the forestry. He had to have a special permit to hunt. I got in a tree. I climbed a tree. I sat there till uh, I sat there several days. So one day I just decided to sit till dark to see if the deer were moving uh, after the sun went down. I was not going to shoot it. I'm just going to find out what it was doing. And while I was in that tree, it got dark. Everything got dark. And all of a sudden I had a bear growl at me. Now, if you've never had a bear growl at you, it's not ever a very good feeling because a lot of times we know that bears can climb trees and eat people and so there I was in that tree, and, and I and I got to thinking, man, I sure don't want to be eaten by a bear. I prayed in tongues all the way out, made it back to the truck, decided never to hunt that spot again, and I, I never did. And then I remember uh, several months ago, there was a mountain lion in Polk County that, uh, that began to attack. Uh, matter of fact, we had someone that's a part of this house. They lost four of their dogs. The mountain lion came and killed the dogs, and so... They asked me if I would come and take care of the mountain lion. So I went and got a 12-gauge uh, double uh 870 Remington pump. I took my tree stand. I climbed it. I sat there. Everything was good until it got dark. And then all of a sudden, every bush started to look like a mountain lion. Every, 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 every time I was, oh, no, there he is. It, it was like I did it one time, and I never went back and climbed that tree. And eventually, I guess, the mountain lion moved off because the animals stopped. Ta- they stopped missing, but I got to thinking about I got to thinking about that. I know that's that's crazy. So David, here's David, the baby of the family. They bring him, he's the one. The prophet anoints him, and then you know what? He doesn't go to the prophet's house, he goes back to the woods. He goes back to the field, he goes back doing what he was doing before he was anointed. And then we know the story. There was a giant of a man. Some Bible scholars believe that he was twelve foot tall. We're not sure. To that height, some say he was nine foot tall. But we do know this, his sword weighed over 150 pounds. His sword probably weighed more than David himself. David goes to battle to take bread and cheese to his brothers. There they see the giant, the giant roars. And and the Bible says that everybody ran, including David. It's easy sometimes to get caught up in the flow. If the flow runs, you run. Can anybody relate? Sometimes we get so intimidated by those around us, the circumstance in our life. We have a tendency to go with the, the, the uh, majority. But Jesus didn't come for the majority. He came for the minority. He came to seek and to save those that were lost. And aren't you glad a part of that remnant you were found? And he's blessed you with his blessing. So David sees this giant, and he finds out that there is a reward. There is a reward for doing the right thing. There are blessings that follow those that do the right thing. There are commanded blessings that God speaks over us and those blessings like like begin to chase us down and like a magnet we begin to draw those blessings towards us I remember uh, I don't remember what church we were at but I know there was one girl that she took a bunch of money and pinned it to her do you remember that And she said I'm a money magnet I don't remember what that that was all about but when she wasn't looking I took a $20 bill off her thing and I said I too am a money magnet and uh, so, so you, be, you can become a favor magnet. You become a blessing magnet. That the promises of God will chase you down. Pastor Ronald quoted said that I will bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgiveth all thy sins? Who healeth all thy diseases? Who satisfieth thy mouth with, with good things, so that youth is renewed like an eagle those are the promises that we have that God said he will chase us down and overwhelm us with the blessings and the promises that he has promised us so David goes to battle he can't wear the king's uh, armor you know the story he has a sling Uh, he he confronts the giant the giant at one elevated place David is on the other the armies are behind them and David said thou come to me with a sword and a spear and a shield but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast to fight, now watch this, this day will I feed your carcass to the fowls of the air, and I will take your head, that all of Israel may know there's, a, all of the earth may know there's a God in Israel. He prophetically declared something that he hadn't yet done. He declared, I am going to cut your head from your body, and I'm going to feed your body to the wild beasts of the earth, and I'm going to do this so that everyone will know that God is God, and he's still on the, on the throne. Do I have a friend in the house today. He declared that, and exactly what he declared come to pass. I'm reminded of three guys that refused to bend, bow, or burn. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know the story. They refused to bow to the graven image. They stood before the king. The king gave them one more chance to bow before he threw them in the fire, and one of the three Hebrew boys looked at the king and said, if it be so, in other words, maybe you will and maybe you won't. Maybe you will throw us in the furnace. Maybe you won't throw us in the furnace. But regardless of what you do, our God is able to provide for us in the furnace. And if not, we're still not going to bow. And you know the story when they went to throw the Hebrew children in, the fire was so hot that the guys, that the the soldiers that threw them in was overwhelmed by the heat. And they died just from the heat, not the flame. And they threw the three boys in the furnace and you remember the story? The king looked in and said, "I thought we threw three dudes in there." They said, "We well, we did." He said, "Well, there's the fourth dude, and he he looks like the son of God." And I don't know how he would know what the son of God looked like. Maybe he glowed. Maybe he sparkled. Maybe he shined. I'm I'm not sure what the king saw, but he realized that that was the son of God. And that's exactly what they prophesied. Maybe you'll throw us in the furnace and maybe you won't. But if you do, our God will spare us. Our God will take care of us. Again, there's a prophetic word about an event about to take place where there was a negative. It was it was it was danger. But they didn't didn't look at the negative or the danger. They looked to God and saying, our God will protect us. Aren't you glad this morning that the Lord is your shepherd? There's a story in the Bible, in Zechariah, a guy by the name of Zerubbabel, say that fast three times, Zerubbabel, 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 and he was told to rebuild the house of God. There were enemies that opposed him in that rebuilding, and here's what he said in Zechariah 4 and 7, "Who who are you, O great mountain, that you would stand before me? You should become as a mere molehill. You shall become as a mere molehill here he is speaking to the mountain in his life the mountain says you will not rebuild the house of god he confronts his mountain and he said who are you who are you to tell me what i am and i am not going to do you will be reduced as a mere molehill now at our house there's this this tree stump that we never did remove and so there was a vine that started growing it actually looks pretty good it's a a pretty good is a pretty good look but always right from the tree there is always an anthill and I have so much fun. I guess you just got to be around me to to know how much fun I have when it comes to anthills. I hate red ants. I hate black ants, I hate every color ant. And so I will walk through there on the, on the around the bush to go back to carry the trash out. And every time I walk by there, I will kick that that molehill and I'll level that molehill and thousands of ants will die and then I will come back the next day. And sure enough, that molehill is there again. And so I'll take a little gas. And i will torture and i'll pour the yeah, too many torturers anybody you actually hate and hey if, if you've never been stung by a ranet then you can't be related. but i'll tell you once they once they bite you they got you and i was thinking about that little old molehill and and that's what rivable said however great you think you are mountain you're coming down and i'm going to survive don't you appreciate appreciate that in closing uh this morning i was written in the story of in ezekiel in the story of Ezekiel, uh, God takes Ezekiel to a valley of uh, dead bones. There's, well, all bones are dead, but it's a valley of bones. There was no, there was no life. There was no. It was just just thousands of bones stacked everywhere. And God asked Ezekiel, "Ezekiel, can these bones live again?" And Ezekiel said, "Lord, you know whether they can or not." And then God told Ezekiel, "Prophesy over these bones and declare that these bones live." And as Ezekiel began in this vision, begin to prophesy over the bones, the Bible says the, the veins, the flesh, the blood, the, 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 the organs, everything restored. And this valley of dry bones raised up to be a, a mighty army that God used in the last days. And I was thinking about that, declaring, declaring life to dead things, the declaring life to dead things. You may feel like that your marriage is dead, but you can declare life in that marriage. I remember... There's a couple. They don't come here anymore, but uh, they were going through some real bad times, and uh, I remember that uh, they came for counseling. And so I tried to counsel them, and I and I told the, I told the husband, I said, "Listen, I said, uh, there's this book. It's called The Act of Marriage. It's a great book. It will help. It will help you in your marriage. You go ahead and you read this book and you start applying." He goes, he goes, Pastor, I I am just not good with, I'm just not, I'm just not good with books. I'm not good with reading which I thought was hypocritical because the week before he just bought this big uh, cat caterpillar, the backhoe with the dump truck, and there was a manual with it, and he read the whole manual, and he knew how to do the button. So he he mastered that backhoe because he wanted to, but he wouldn't work on his marriage. And I said, listen, just take the book. And Sam, I told him, I said, just take the book and, 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 and put it on the nightstand like this so that when your wife sees it, she'll at least think you're reading the book. You're, think, think you're reading the book. And sure enough, you've sent the book out. Well, a couple of days later, they got in a big old fight, and uh, he told on me, he told her what I told him to do. And it, it took like several weeks to gain her trust back, because she didn't trust me, because she thought that I was trying to trick her. I wasn't trying to trick her. I was trying to do anything I could to put life back into their marriage. So maybe, maybe you feel like your marriage is dead. Maybe you feel like your business is dead. Maybe you feel like your friendships are dead. Or maybe you feel like your Addictions—that that it's just uh, just death. I'll never quit smoking. I'll never this. I'll never that. Stop saying you never will, and start saying I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Begin to speak life to that marriage, life to that business, life to that relationship. Begin to tell tell your addictions. You will not win in Jesus' name. You are a defeated foe, and you're going down. I I got some things here I would like, just in closing, if you will, to repeat after me. We're going to make a declaration. Uh, on this beautiful Sunday morning, if you will get ready, I want you to say this with, say this with, uh, repeat this after me, I guess would be easy since you don't know what's on here. Unless you're a prophet and you can see it already and you would like to leave. Do we have a prophet or a miss? Okay, then we'll, we'll do, th- are, are you ready? I will, I will accomplish my dreams. The right people are in my future. The right, are in my future. The right opportunities are headed my way blessings are chasing me down I am the head not the tail I will lend and not borrow I have a good personality I am well liked I'm fun to be around I enjoy my life I have a positive attitude I will overcome every obstacle I will outlast every adversity Things have shifted in my favor. What was meant for my harm, God is using for my advantage. My future is bright. My children are mighty in the land. My legacy will live on to several generations. I run with purpose in my step. My best days are still out in front of me. My greatest victories are in my future. I will become everything God created me to be. I will have everything God intended for me to have. I will do everything God said that I would do. I am the redeemed of the Lord. And I say so today in Jesus name. I'll give yourself a hand clap of appreciation Now, if you would just start aiming towards some of those declarations, uh, there are books to read, there are songs to sing, there are people to counsel, there are, there are ways in, in life that you can change and become what God has called you to do, what God has called you to be. And I encourage you to pursue some of those avenues this week. I encourage you uh, to, to... Something that helps me is when, when I say something... I reflect back on that past statement. I say, okay, was that positive or was that negative? And then I, then I have learned, usually, if you speak the negative, you're, re- you're reiterating the negative, and you're giving that negative power and purpose. But if you, dec- if you decide not to declare the negative, but you find something good to say, no matter how bad it is, you find something good to say. I remember I've shared this, and I think, I think it was Pastor Rhonda, or it was someone, uh, but we were somewhere, and uh, there was a large person, uh, uh, in, our, in our in our in our in our eyesight, and I looked at that person. And I said, "I said, man, that person's fat." Then Pastor Rhonda looked at me and I said, "But you know what? She looks good, fat. Never mind." <laughs> anyway, to try to leave you with the positive. Give you a chance to sow in the kingdom today. <laughs> I want to say a special thank you to um